Hello, and welcome to the 18th episode of the Ball and Chain podcast. I am your host, Mark Thomas, coming to you from actually partly cloudy uh, skies here in Southern California. Um, I'd love to welcome our guest for today. Uh, it is Juan Rodriguez, who is the founder of Lodge Financial and host of the Lodge uh, pod- podcast. Um, and just super all-around interesting guy, which we'll get into. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Juan. Mark, what's going on? Appreciate you having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining. So you do your own podcast. So I have to ask, what is it like? Do you prefer, you know, hosting your own? Do you prefer being guests on other people's podcasts? Uh, you know, looks like you've done a lot, you know, in the podcast world in general. What is your preference when it comes to potting? Yeah, I just I enjoy podcasting just overall in general. Um, obviously, enjoy being a host. Uh, I've done I think nearly seventy episodes. I, I don't know if you just said that or not, um, but it's so I've done that a little over a year and a half. And then I've also been able to guest on other people's podcasts, and it's fun to be on the other side of the mic, I guess, and not have to like prepare for it or anything and just kind of <laughs> go with the flow of it. <laughs> so, um, so no, I'm just a big fan of podcasts, hosting people, being on them, listening to them. Um, I think the space for podcasting is really growing too as of recently. And, and I think it'll continue to grow. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big podcast guy, big fan. <laughs> I think the biggest reason why pods have actually taken off, or at least for me, why I love pods so much compared to the old form of media, which is uh, especially like blog posts is I just can multitask, right? I can do my work. I can sit there getting my job done and still partake in whatever the media is that's being shared versus if I'm reading a blog post, I can't read the blog post and do my other work at the same time. So I feel like the media, the forum of podcasting just really fits kind of our moving fast, multitasking, you know, short attention span world that we're in. Um, it's perfect. Yeah, super accessible. Like I mean, everyone these days has a side hustle. Everyone these days, I feel like, (laughs) has something going on. So I think podcasts just make it so easy to like consume content and just do what you're doing while listening. So I I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So uh, I got to talk to you. Let's kick things off first with uh, Lodge Financial. So uh, it's really, really interesting because I think that, uh, and you're going to obviously dive into this here, but the streaming or streamer and esports market in general, uh, not just with what you do, but in general, I think is vastly underserved in a lot of different ways. And I, I just find it super interesting, like what you're trying to do to help these folks, you know, um, you know, manage their finances, live better lives, maybe not have to focus on some of these things that would otherwise preoccupy them and allow them to focus on their on their on their streaming or on their esports, you know, similar to how a professional athlete, you know, have financial advisors uh, to be able to focus on their career. So, can you walk everyone through what exactly Lodge Financial is and does, and how you got started and into it? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I'll give like a quick like twenty second backdrop of of kind of how it came about. Um, so, in early twenty nineteen. Um, I, I kind of always have obviously been a fan of video games. Like a lot of people have, um, and I had never even thought of like a business side of it. Cause it was just always something I played, um, like probably most people. Um, but I started, I, I found Twitch and then, um, while the Fortnite craze and all that was going on, I started to kind of get into that. And then that's kind of what. I guess, led me to realizing that there was a whole industry behind it, which when you take a step back, obviously makes sense. Um, So early 2019, uh, I'm an accounting major. 
Um, so I'm about to be a CPA in the state of Florida, finishing up my paperwork with that. So obviously I have a financial background and I just began to like kind of brainstorm and think like, you know, is there any companies out there that serving talent in gaming or in esports um, from a financial perspective, um, specifically from the accounting side of things? So taxes and, and bookkeeping um, and things like that. And so um, after researching a bit, I saw there was really nobody doing it. And, and like you said, it was very underserved from that perspective. And so um, over the months, just began researching, kind of learning more about the industry as a whole, um, connecting with people, you know, hearing what different people did just to kind of get a grasp and slowly began to launch my company. Um, it, you know, as, as any side hustle is, you kind of build it up slowly. Um, so was just doing it on nights, weekends. But what I focus on and, and what my company focuses on is it's titled a business management firm. Um, with the main focus being that it, it's taxes, it's tax planning, um, it, it's doing quarterly payments throughout the year, it's bookkeeping, um, and especially with streamers, for example, that might have a lot of forms of income. So, you know, maybe they have their donations and their bits and all that from Twitch, but then they also have like sponsorship revenue and merchandise revenue. Um, like you were saying, it, it becomes a lot to kind of juggle while also trying to be successful at your career. And so that is kind of the, the goal and focus of Lodges Financial is to um, handle those day-to-day -day financial things. You could kind of look at it as like the personal financial things. So I don't do like investments or anything like that, um, more so personal day-to-day -day finances and all that so that they can focus on what's important for them. Um, so, and you know, a lot of people obviously don't like doing taxes and taxes can be interesting, um, for a streamer or for an esports player, just the way that, uh, revenue streams work and all that and, and right. how the IRS looks at it. So, um, yeah. So how does the IRS look at that? Because it does seem like it would be like a really, a total one-off. Yeah. So there's really, as far as I am aware, cause I look it up pretty regularly, there's not really a co any codes out there that's like specific to streaming. Um, or being like a content creator, there's like web entertainer, like that's the closest thing. Um, but it's still kind of vague as if you look at it, like really specifically. So um, my big thing has been, especially with my clients, has been getting to understand that, you know, as this space continues to grow, and as the IRS then begins to see more and more of it going on, like people are going to get looked at. So it's just important to make sure, you know, all your ducks are in a row so that once it's, understood what's happening you know you're not caught with your hands tied and, and realize that you haven't been doing something correctly for for years so yeah and and so this is a typical case and we deal with it all the time being in the sports betting and the cryptocurrency world um of the technology or people's careers or people's lifestyles whatever it might be being way ahead of regulation or the government and it just it, this isn't the only example there's tons i mean mm -hmm. cryptocurrency is a great example too um, I can just tell you that they, you know, in the, in the crypto world, the IRS, you know, struggled forever with how to classify it. Eventually they classified it, um, I believe as an asset, but there's a lot of like really deep nuances uh, within uh, the accounting and, uh, you know, general ledger journal entries and everything like that of how they want to see losses or gains due tied to crypto and stuff like that. And I, I mean, I got to assume it's kind of a little bit frustrating or annoying that, you know, you have to, I don't know, kind of a little bit guesstimate as you go along and then, you know, basically just be willing to kind of justify your stance, um, you know, in case the IRS decides to come along and audit one of your clients. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's, that's spot on. I mean, I, I basically have to look at the tax code that's out there right now and then 
kind of apply that to the the industry of gaming and try to you know make as much sense of it as i can so that like you're saying if a client were to get audited we i can serve my client best by being like hey like this is how we've interpreted it this is how it transfers over to an industry that like we've already talked about is there's not much guidance and, and regulation right now um but i am a very very firm believer that there will be soon um so making sure the clients and and not even for clients i do just a lot of like general education through Twitter and through articles um, on podcasts like this. So just getting the word out there that, you know, you're going to want to be following those regulations or at least try to set yourself up as best as you can so that once it happens. Well, that was actually going to be my next question is like, what do you use as the, you know, selling point or the hook or the marketing angle to get, uh, to get new customers in the, in the esports space, because, you know, it's not like you're just opened up to the whole world since you're focused on that. So is it mostly word of mouth? Is it mostly, um, you know, doing, yeah, doing things like podcasts or whatever in the industry, like what, what is your tactic for bringing on new clients or are you not trying to bring on new clients? Cause you're already kind of saturated and you want to just focus on who you have. No, absolutely. That's a great question. So yeah. And, and to your point, so I, I opened the business with the focus only being in gaming esports. So that's a great point. I don't serve anybody outside of that because I wanted it to be niche. Um, that was one of the things when I was researching, I saw other business management firms were like starting to open an esports line of business, but that's not traditionally where they were from. And as I started network, I just understood that it, the foundation and the core needed to be gaming, not like, you know, serving real estate and then adding the, the gaming and esports side of things. Um, but to answer your question as to gaining clients, it, it was and it still is very difficult just because what I always kind of tell people is. I have a lot of lawyer friends that are in the space and legal a few years ago. And even still now for, for some talent, like people just don't understand the importance of it. And so a couple of years ago, it was harder for, for lawyers in the space to kind of understand it and tell people like, Hey, like this is why you need a lawyer who understands gaming and not understands like real estate. Right. And so right. I think that right now, um, if you look at like insurance, if you look at accounting and finance, um, if you look at banking, those are three professional services that I look at right now that are kind of where legal was at a few years ago, where when you're trying to tell the talent like, hey, like this is why it's important. There's still kind of that misunderstanding as to why do I really need it? Um, so that's probably one of the hardest points of trying to sell yourself. And I'd say that's for any of those three. But as far as the best way to get it is just being in the space, networking, it's word of mouth. It's working with one streamer that was like, Hey, like I've worked with him. He understands the space and he understands how it applies to the law. Um, so I think it's definitely experience word of mouth connections, actually being in the space and not just trying to be a financial professional that just so happens to also do gaming. If that makes right. sense. Like exactly. You started in the space first, you know, then obviously worked on the, you know, the credentials piece within the accounting and the, in the CPA world and the tax world. Um, and so you already had that um, credibility within the industry before actually taking the skill set, the technical skill set um, that they are lacking, um, mm -hmm. you know, as customers um, and providing that service to them. So that's that's pretty that's pretty awesome. So do you serve? Uh, I mean, how would you break down like the the grouping of your customers? Is it mostly like uh, Twitch and or YouTube streamers? Is it also like semi professional or professional uh, like League of Legends players or how would you kind of describe the target demographic or the breakdown of your customer base? 
Yeah. So right now it's, I, I serve just streamers. Um, uh, what I've learned as, you know, obviously, like I said, started this up in 2019. So as a startup in an area that that's difficult that I've learned is that a lot of the pro players right now. So if we take like League of legends, for example, or COD or any of those, a lot of those pro teams, it seems like already have CPAs, uh, legal teams, all that. So the goal for me is to acquire those clients as I continue to grow in the space. But streaming right now is where I see the biggest opportunity because obviously like a, a streamer who's starting out and becomes successful probably doesn't have that team built around him or her yet. And so that's where I'm getting in a lot at right now with the hopes of having the esports players, because that's another part of the industry that I would love to serve. Right. And then you said you're in the process of getting your CPA designation um, is that still in the works? When do you expect to get that by? Yeah. So I'm done with everything, which is very exciting. So I am literally the, the timeline where I'm at right now is like at the 99 out of the hundred. So I'm currently like filing the paperwork to submit to the state. And then I just have to wait, um, for the state to like send me my license and stuff. So I've done the exams. I've done oh. the experience. I've done the, uh, the education. So it, it was a long road to get here, but I'm, I'm excited to, to be at the end of it. So yeah, I bet. I mean, I used to work in uh, many years ago, uh, when I first got out of school, I'm much older. Um, I used to work. In, <laughs> let's not go there. Um, I used to work in corporate finance and accounting. Uh, okay. So doing a uh, month and close FP&A, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, I worked at uh, McKesson, Gap, uh, Carl's Ice Vision. Uh, so I was doing, I was doing all that. And the thing I realized is that I really I enjoy doing my own personal finances, but less mm-hmm. so like, you know, kind of doing that for, for large corporations. But I'm so glad I have that skill set simply because, and that was actually my major in school was finance. Um, I, I just, I'm so glad I have that because, you know, you know, for my own businesses and my own companies and stuff like that. And, and my, as well as my own personal finances, it's really nice to be able to lean on that skill set to, I mean, for example, like when I do our, you're in taxes for Zen sports with our CPA. I mean, I'd say 75% of it is done by the time I put it in their hands because I do all of our month and close and I do all of our journal entries. Um, but of course I still rely on their expertise, expertise for a lot of stuff. So I think it's, um, it's such a great skill set to have. And, and so it's great that you're, you're helping people with that. Um, because it's, it's not easy. Like if you're not like numbers, if you're not <laughs> wired for numbers or wired for details, cause it's super detail oriented it's going to be tough. And so I think, you know, letting these folks like focus on their gaming and their streaming is, is really, uh, is pretty awesome. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. It's a great, it's a great skill set to have. Um, and it's definitely, especially for me, I learned in accounting, it's just a lot of reading. Um, and so when I originally got into it, I was like semi-decent in math, but accounting I always heard was the language of business as people say, and I knew I wanted to be in business. So I was like, you know what, I'll just take a leap of faith on this major. Um, and so I've enjoyed it so far. I guess it's it's paid off. So it's it's right. Cause you gotta be doing a lot of research, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of reading, a lot of interpreting. And then for my, my day job, um, cause that's my side hustle side business. And then my day job is an auditor at EY. So that's like a ton more of reading regulation, reading work papers, understanding how they flow. So like you said, it's very detail oriented. So, wow. Yeah. So Ernst and Young's obviously our EY is a great company to, to be at. So it's super tough to get into. Um, so you must've done very well in school and obviously uh, getting your CPA. So, uh, so 
when I first started my very first company in 2005, it was a recruiting agency. And I was, this is when I was working at the Gap in finance full time. One of the things that I found uh, hard, which is why I eventually left Gap to go to do my recruiting agency full time was just, you know, it's kind of hard to switch gears, right? Do you mm-hmm. find that to be the case? Like, hey, you're working at EY during the day and then, you know, you help out some of the clients at night or on the weekends. I mean, do you get like, you know, kind of exhausted from all that? I mean, do you, do you feel it's tough to switch gears or is it because it's kind of doing the same type of work? that not really a big deal at all. It's just for different people. For me, I would say um, it, it, it is a bit of switching gears. I guess it's not entirely. So so yeah, with EY during the day, I'm auditing. So it, it there's not much tax. I mean, there's obviously like some tax work papers maybe we'll look at, but for the most part, it's more, you know, specific accounts, how the business is running, um, things like that. I won't get into auditing because that's very boring. I'm sure people don't want to hear it, but uh, to, <laughs> switch, to switch gears to Give us the, some of the research paper notes. <laughs> um, but to switch gears from that to lodges, it's a little bit of a switch, but since it's in the same field, I guess not too much. Um, but since I focus a lot on the tax side of things, um, it's like a good switch because, you know, I'm, it's not like I'm looking at taxes all day at EY and then I have to go look at taxes for my clients. So it's kind of like a fun switch. Um, and, and honestly, it's been fun over the last year and a half that, that I've kind of been doing this and looking at it to kind of it's been fun to not almost have like super strict and, and, and regulations yet of the IRS because it's been fun to kind of read the law, kind of interpret it and see how it can be applied and also know that a lot of people aren't doing that yet right now. So I don't want to say early adopter because it's something already out there, but it's kind of fun to be at the forefront of it because then five, 10 years down the line, you can kind of talk about that. And, and I think it'll obviously be interesting. Um, so, so yeah, it's a little bit of a switch. So how did you get into esports in the first place? So you said that you were involved in esports prior to doing the accounting and the finance and the taxes for esports. So what got you into esports in the first place? Were you a streamer yourself? Were you just an avid video game player? What, what got you into the industry and got you to know who all these people were that you could reach out to as clients? Yeah. So I, in um, summer of 2018, I actually was about to enter my senior year at Auburn. And so I had an internship with a private CPA firm down here in Tampa. Um, and, and I had never been to Tampa before, but I was a Florida boy because I grew up in Gainesville. Um, and obviously Auburn is in Alabama. And so I, I always knew I wanted to come back to Florida. So I came down summer of 2018 to Tampa. I was doing this internship at a CPA firm. And obviously I, I didn't know anybody in the city. So I, the summer was kind of quiet other than like talking to friends back home, my girlfriend back home, family. And so at night to, to keep up with a lot of my friends, since I wasn't there for that summer, uh, it was when Fortnite was really, really hot and it had like just started to get really popular. Um, and so I started playing Fortnite with friends and then as Fortnite kind of developed end of 2018 and then through 2019, that's what honestly introduced me to esports. I didn't even know that esports was a word or anything like that. If I'm being honest, I didn't know what Twitch was. And so we were playing one night in 2018 and the Fortnite servers crashed and my buddy who I was playing with was like, oh, well, we can go on Twitch and, and we can like look at streamers and see if it's down. And I was like, what the heck are you talking about? I don't even know what that is. And so he introduced me to Twitch. And so it was from there that then I just got hooked on the platform. I thought it was very interesting, very cool. Um, started kind of getting plugged into some communities and watching regularly. And then it was watching Twitch and watching Fortnite evolve at the end of 2018 that then in 2019, I started to eventually just by habit of nature run into what esports was because of the Fortnite 
competitive events that were happening. Um, and so, yeah, then long story short, I just thought it was super interesting. Um, I always loved video games as a kid, but I never really thought that there was like any kind of like career aspect from it. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of how I bumped into esports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Cause, uh, way, way, way back in the day, I was, a this is way before your time, but I was a, uh, Nintendo, uh, 16, uh, avid rabbit fan. And I was one of the people in the late eighties that got one of the first Nintendos and I just couldn't stop playing it. I would literally play it for 15 hours a day. And, you know, <laughs> and the thing is, is that I think if back then we had had the opportunity to play in front of uh, like hundreds or thousands of fans, I would have just, I, I would have gone crazy. I would have, it would have been amazing. I mean, just even being able to play in front of my friend, I would invite my friends over to say, watch me conquer this game. Right. <laughs> um, so if I'm finding like two friends that sit there on the couch to watch me do it, then being able to broadcast in front of, hundreds or thousands like and, and i bring that up because you know you have people that say well why would anybody want to watch somebody play video games why wouldn't people want to just be playing it themselves and i say well it's the same thing as like watching football or watching basketball it's because you know these people are the best at what they do and they're at the top of the game and they're awesome at you know what they do and um and also you can learn from it too i think probably esports is probably one of the few where you actually can pick things up and actually go apply them where none of us are going to go out and become LeBron James. And so the <laughs> fact that we can, you know, watch a streamer, uh, you know, and what they're, what he or she is doing and then go apply that to what we're, you know, interested in, or, you know, when we play, um, I think that's pretty interesting too, because you can't get that with any other sport. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think we're, as we continue to become a more, I guess, tech savvy and more of a culture that's built around tech, you obviously have every, every kid that's young and is growing up with platforms like Twitch and like streaming on YouTube and, and Facebook gaming. And I mean, if you start to really actually pay attention and listen to conversations, like it, the, the conversation is almost shifting a bit from, you know, kids saying, I want to grow up and be a professional player in the NBA or the NFL to, I want to be a YouTuber or I want to be a streamer or I want to be a pro call of duty player. Um, and obviously, listen, you've, you've got your kids that still say they want to be in the NBA and all that, but there's a lot of conversation about kids wanting to be in that space growing up. Um, and so, yeah, it's super cool because, because kids can see it. And like you're saying, they can take something away from it and it's kind of like their sport now as they're growing up. So. Right. And yeah, that's something you would never have you know thought would have been possible like eight, 10, 15 years ago. I mean, it would just be, you did it just purely as a hobby just because you enjoyed it. Now, if you're good at it or you're entertaining enough, you can make money on it. Right. And right. Um, just like anything else in entertainment, you know, if people find it to be fun or uh, exciting or entertaining, you know, they will find a way to pay for it. I guess, let me ask a question. Cause I always found this to be interesting from a streaming perspective or a, a, a money perspective is most of the money that streamers make from donations like people like actually volunteering to give them money or are there also like kind of pay-per-view or pay-per-entry type of events in order to watch people stream yeah so if i'm looking like at my clientele and 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 from conversations for others the biggest revenue stream is usually like donations and subs um and then like like i said you might if they've got enough of a community and enough followers, like maybe they've got a merch line. And then if they're a step above that and they, and they do have a strong community and they've got the merch line already out there, then maybe they're partnered or sponsored by a couple of companies. Um, and then there's also like bits 
um, which is just like a, you know, like a cryptocurrency basically, basically, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, the, the largest would, would be donations and then subs, which for anyone who doesn't know this listening is just, uh, you know, you're watching on Twitch, you subscribe for, for five, 10 or $25 a month. So, um, and then you can set that up recurring and you're supporting your, your favorite creator. So, um, yeah, subs and, and donos are definitely from what I see the, the biggest, you know, sources of revenue. Got it. Got it. And so on this, on the donation side world, I guess, especially, especially in the donation side, I mean, I mean, isn't that a little risky if, or are streamers not looking at it as their sole source of income, right? Are they just looking at as a side income or that, or some of these streamers looking at as their sole source of income? Because I would think that relying on people to just donate or give you money, it's gotta be a little bit of a uneven and a little bit of a risky way to make a living. No. Yeah. I mean, listen, is is definitely very risky at the beginning. Cause I mean, you got to realize you're starting any streamer, um, you know, if you're starting out for the first time, obviously you're starting out probably with zero viewers, unless like you got right. a buddy or two that are watching you. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, and, and I guess to maybe better answer the question, there's been a lot of streamers that, um, work a full-time job and then side hustle streaming until they think they can make that leap of faith. And for different people, that's different things. Maybe it's paying their bill. They have enough money to pay their bills for the next six months so they can focus on streaming for six straight months and build off of what they have. Um, for some people, maybe it's less than that. And, and they just feel like they've got a lot of momentum going and that they're just going to make the leap of faith. So it's all built around the community that you build and how your viewers interact with you, you know, and so that goes in all sorts of things. So like, how consistent are you? What time of the day do you stream at? What are your interests? How does that align with the people who are watching you? Um, and then eventually, as, as you build up over time, and as you build that community around you, then you've kind of got like your every month people, they come through and like, you know, they're going to show you love on your stream and you know, they're going to donate to you because now you've become their favorite creator to watch. Um, similarly, and I guess not similarly, but like, you know, maybe you bet on your favorite sports team because that's your sports team. Right. So you're going to just throw the money there. Um, so people just begin to come in and, and it becomes a, an everyday thing for them. Like I'm a big fan of Nick Merckx, watch a lot of Nick Merckx. Um, I've subbed to him every month for almost three years now. And I, a lot of the times that's at every part of my day. Like I'll watch it for 15, 20 minutes during lunch break. So you have people that begin to come regulars and, and that's how you make a living as a creator. So, but why, if that's the case, why wouldn't all the streamer, why wouldn't each streamer then require a subscription in order to watch them versus just hoping for donations. It's, it really just comes down to the community they've built. So, cause a lot of them, especially when they're starting out, obviously like you don't want to force someone to donate, mm -hmm. to watch you. So it's maybe, you know, when you start out with that one or two people watching you, it's, you know, if they're chatting with you while you're playing, like how interactive or how engaging are you being with them? And, and maybe it's someone that doesn't have anyone to talk to, but now they come into your stream and you talk to them a lot every time they come in. Now they really start to like you and then that builds up and then, you know, you run your social media accounts and maybe you're, you know, like in your case, a huge Packers fan and you already like the streamer and then you find out they're a Packers fan and you're like, oh man, like we really have synergy on that too now. So it's all those things that then just starts to build up, I guess. And then people are just generous and they want to support that person. And um, even though they're really not getting anything in return of it out of other than just watching them, um, that's just how, how the revenue base begins to build up. So is Fortnite still the biggest game that you prefer to watch streamers on, or do you diversify and watch like all sorts of different games? So right now, which is really not classified as an esport, but there's a lot of tournaments around it, is I watch a lot of Warzone, um, okay. which Fortnite kind of had 
when it was coming out. And I mean, some people even still argue, some people argue it's not an esport. It kind of had that stigma around it because of the battle royale style. Um, but yeah, right now I love watching like kill race, um, Warzone tournaments. Like those are definitely my favorite. So is Warzone, but Warzone is not a Fortnite game. No, 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 no. Well, Warzone is a, a part, part of a Call of Duty game. Oh, got it. Okay, cool. So I don't know if you've like seen all the kind of hellabaloo between Apple and Fortnite and the, mm-hmm. or the app stores and Fortnite or really games in general. Like I, I, I think it's just really, I mean, cause we, we face a little bit too as being a native app, like where, you know, the platforms want to take such a large chunk of the, of the, of the streaming revenue or whatnot. Do you have to deal with that at all uh, as well too? Like either it's part of lodge or just, I mean, you know, in hearing streamers complain about having to do that or, or gamers that are playing, you know, when they're, you know, unlocking treasures or whatever it might be, because it does feel a little bit like there's a monopoly on some of those uh, fees, um, you know, from that perspective. I don't know if you ever have to run into that or, or not at all. Yeah, I think um, it, it might align. Let me know if this answers the question or not. So it, once you become an affiliate, so like if you're on Twitch, for example, right. right, and you're streaming, you become an affiliate. For those who don't know, that basically means you reach certain milestones. Maybe you're, you have to like average three viewers have streamed a certain X number amount over the last 10 days. Um, so once you reach that, then people can sub to you. So you don't immediately start out with people being able to sub to you. Um, so when you become an affiliate then though, and then the step up, up after that, that's very difficult to obtain is become a partner. And for that, you have to average like over 75 concurrent viewers. So once you get to those agreements with the platform, when you get a sub, it's actually when you start out a 50, 50 split. So if it's a $5 sub, um, Twitch or Amazon takes 250, you take 250. It's 50%. Um, I thought it was like 30. Uh, for the ones I've seen on affiliate, it's a 50, 50 wow. split. Um, so, but then as you work up, like, and let's say you become a partner and now you've been a partner, I don't know, for a year and you're averaging like 400, 500 concurrent viewers, you're obviously bringing a lot of audience to the platform and a lot of engagement in the platform. Then you can come as a creator and I guess, you know, argue or debate your contract and maybe you can get more of a split. So I don't know if that answers the question. As far yeah. as I'm So do they have to, do the streamers have to actually like, I don't know, manually reach out to Twitch or Amazon to try and negotiate that? Is it something that's automated as part of it? Like if you reach X number, it automatically drops you? Because it feels like, it feels very arbitrary that you wouldn't think that streamers would be those kinds of folks that would (laughs) be in active negotiations to try to, you know, get the fee down or anything like that. Yeah, I I had a client that was on Mixer um, before Mixer shut down in the summer. And um she won a, won a higher fee because she was becoming a very popular streamer on the platform. Um, and she was able to get a little bit more revenue share of what was their form of subs. Um, and that was so like Mixer and Twitch, they each have like, um, uh, I think it's called an ambassador for their accounts. Like there's different Twitch ambassadors that help you know, different creators. And like, that's who you would go to if like, you're saying, Hey, you know, I'm averaging 500 concurrent viewers. Like I'm bringing in X, X, X. Like I'd love to see if there's a way that I can increase my revenue split of the sub. Um, and I think that's right. typically how they would go through. And then obviously you would probably want a lawyer to go through that process with you. So, well, do you help with the accounting of that though, on the non-legal side? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's more so a legal thing for that. Cause it's, really just the split and and then you want to look at the rest of the contract and if there's anything else that 
they want to argue, which I'm going to be completely transparent. I haven't been involved in mm-hmm. the legal aspect or looking over a contract when someone's asking for more. Um, but yeah, it's more so a legal thing because the dollar amount is kind of just like plain text. Um, right. So it's more so making sure that that creator and also that lawyer that knows what they're doing in the space and can see what that creator is worth and can leverage that when talking to a platform um, or if that's the case, talking to a team, they can leverage that and then argue like, hey, like this is this is what we think should happen. And then, you know, the discussion begins. Right. OK, so that makes sense. So switching gears a little bit. So, um, you know, you grew up in Florida, went to school at Auburn, which is, I mean, major, major college football country. So, <laughs> I mean, did you were you already a college football or other are you in other sports besides esports? Um, you know, as you've gone along, gone through school, come out of school, whatever, grew up even, or has it mostly just been esports that you focused on? Yeah. So I grew up, um, when I grew up in Florida and then throughout my childhood, um, I come from a family of athletes, I guess you say. So basketball was like always my dream. It it's literally what every year up until senior year was like focused on, um, was basketball. And so like the dream is to play college basketball and that whole, uh, you know, whole ordeal. Um, so grew up in a sports family. I saw I'm six, two. Um, yeah. Um, so I did the whole travel AAU thing year round. Um, the AAU team, I I mean, I guess I'll plug it. The AAU team that I was a part of during my ninth and 10th grade year was a pretty solid AAU team. We won like, um, both of those years, we won state championships in Alabama. We won almost every tournament we went to, whether it was like Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, um, you know, a lots of different places. And then we actually came down to Florida in um, by Orlando and won a national championship there against a team from Puerto Rico. So that was like probably one of the coolest basketball experiences I ever had. Um, so yeah, I grew up a lot in traditional sports, but even though I grew up in Gainesville, where obviously University of Florida is at, I was 10 years old when we moved. So like SEC football, college football, like none of that was on my mind at a young age because um, my parents didn't go to the games or anything like that. <laughs> but as we grew up in Alabama, especially because you've got Auburn University and the University of Alabama and right. the rivalry that that brings, you know, college football gets into your ear pretty much day one once you arrive in Alabama. Um, so yeah, I grew up and I knew I had to go to a college in state just cause in state tuition. Um, even though I really wanted to go to the university of Miami, that was like my dream college. Um, so I went to Auburn, like I just picked it. I didn't think Alabama would be a good fit for me. Um, so I said, I'm going to go to Auburn. Um, and then by that point, obviously I had watched a little bit more college football growing up through high school, but I had never really experienced sec football at that level. And so spending four years at Auburn in, you know, Jordan Hare stadium playing, obviously like some of the biggest teams in the country being, you know, with, with 90,000 fans, like I get chills talking about it because it truly is just like crazy experiences. Um, and I guess I'll share really, really quickly. So in 2017, I was actually there when Auburn at the end of the year, um, for anyone who follows college football pretty well. So Auburn hosted number one, Georgia, um, in 2017, 
they came into town, you know, great weather, great football weather. We beat them 41-10. It was a very crazy environment at that time. And then we always take a break that same season before we play Alabama. So Alabama came to town in Auburn two weeks later after that Georgia game, now also ranked number one in the country. And there's a lot of hate between those teams already as it's the Iron Bowl. And so then we beat Alabama as the number one team, 26-14, and we actually stormed the field that game, which nice. is probably like the highlight of my college football <laughs> experience at Auburn. So That's awesome. Well, so it's so funny because I have the exact uh, opposite um, feeling towards college sports. So I grew up in Wisconsin as a diehard pro sports fan. I first became a Brewers fan uh, in 1987, a Milwaukee Bucks fan in 1988 and then a Packers fan in 1992. And then I started going to school at Madison. So Wisconsin, um, in uh, 96 and they won two Rose bowls in 99 and 2000. I was like, yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas when the Packers won the super bowl in 96 and 2010, and hopefully this year, I'm just like, I, I'm going beyond crazy and celebrating like crazy and uh yeah i mean 2010 i traveled back to wisconsin to watch the super bowl with my family um you know type of thing whereas yeah it was nice and the badgers won a couple of rose bowls that was fine that was nice but in fact they went to the the, the basketball team went to the uh, final four i think it was my senior year junior senior year okay which and i was like yeah i mean i went to the bar to watch the game but i was like mm, with some friends but I, other than that it was just you know whatever now that being said i was on the bowling team at wisconsin so you know if that doesn't get your juices going to be able to want to watch it i don't know what will um but you know that's when you're in wisconsin it's like minus five degrees it's and there's nothing else to do that's what you do you're you're on the you're on the bowling team so <laughs> yeah i it's it because I totally understand because the South is, is way, way more into college sports than pro sports. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. not that people don't follow the Dolphins or the Buccaneers or the Falcons or whatever it might be, but, or the Saints. I mean, I'd say the Saints are actually pretty rabid fans, but you know, it is, <laughs> you don't even need to you just look at, you know, the fans in attendance, uh, you know, at uh, an Alabama or an Auburn game compared to a Buccaneers game or a Falcons game. It's like no contest. I mean, it's night and day difference uh, in terms of, you know, level of interest and excitement about it. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, I think it's just a cultural thing. It is. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You either, I feel like are a huge NFL fan or you're a huge college football fan. It usually goes one way or the other. Yeah. I, I, I tend to agree with you. Like there, no, there's some people I know that are pretty equal on both, but they're not, I, I would say they're not as rabid as Packer fans as I am, if that's the case. And yeah. so, yeah. It, you know, they're, they're, they're just good fans of both or big fans of both, but they're not like super crazy on one or the other. Whereas I think, I think, you know, in the South, I think they're super, super, super crazy for college football and eh, kind of meh on, on pro. Whereas right. I personally, and I also think in general, like in the Midwest, I mean, they, they like college football, but they are much more diehard pro football fans up there. Right. Right. No, totally. Yeah. I mean, listen, you, you go to, I feel like if you get in deep territory of either NFL or college football. And I mean, you know, pe people get very into it. <laughs> right. Now in California, they just basically don't give a shit about any sports out here. Well, I shouldn't say that. Actually, I have to say, uh, <clears throat> there are pretty freaking big basketball fans out here. I mean, I lived in the Bay Area. I've lived in San Francisco for 19 years, just moved to uh, LA a few months ago. There are diehard Warriors fans there. And mm -hmm. being here in LA, they're diehard Lakers fans. So I actually have to say pro basketball, they're really, really into. That's probably probably the number one sport by far football. I mean, yeah, they're fans, but 
like I went to the uh, Packers 49ers NFC championship game last year, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the dismal, awful 37, 20 loss. And I mean, <laughs> yeah, the fans were, yeah, they were loud, but I, I never got really any ribbing, um, you know, for wearing my Packers jersey, you know, and yeah. stuff. And so, you know, whereas if I had gone into like, uh, you know, Minneapolis for a Packers Vikings playoff game, I mean, you know, I gotta be, <laughs> for my uh life there you know kind of thing so, you gotta be careful who you talk to those yeah games. but i think the problem is is there's so much else to do you know in california although not right now because everything's shut down but uh right. normal normally there is so <laughs> but um yeah i really i think i think the whole esports thing is is really interesting also from like a betting perspective and an engagement perspective and you know so we offer betting in Zen Sports on six esports titles, we offered on League of Legends, Counter Strike Go, uh, um, Overwatch, Dota 2, FIFA, and Rainbow Six Siege. Um, and we've tried to kind of like get agreements going with uh, Riot Games or Blizzard or any of those big game titles. And I'm surprised they don't want to touch betting. Uh, you look at the NBA and the NFL and Major League Baseball, they've really, really welcomed betting in. Um, you know, even after, for a very long time, not welcoming it in because they recognize all the revenue attached to it and the engagement that, <clears throat> that it drives. I mean, it just drives a lot of engagement because even folks that might not otherwise watch the game are, are very excited and interested. Or if a game is kind of a, a dog at halftime, they'll still continue to watch it because of the betting aspect of it. And, and so I don't know, I'm just, I'm a little surprised that when, you know, you're in an industry that's trying to make it big and trying to grow the audience base and the user base, to hopefully maybe be as big as the NBA or something someday. Why wouldn't you want to have those other engagement tools? I mean, do you, do you hear any like rumblings in the industry of like their thoughts on betting or is it just like totally taboo? They won't touch it um, because we get customers betting on esports in our app, but it's not like we can go out and strike a partnership with, like I said, some of those game title, you know, creators, you know, very easily. Yeah. Are, do you, do you want to ask, are, are you asking from like, um, talent and people in the space and, and their interest in betting on, on platforms. You talking about like from an industry professional uh, um, perspective. I'd like to, it'd be interesting to hear both. Like, I mean, what do like, what, what do like uh, players and spectators want and then versus maybe like what the, the industry party line kind of is on that. Yeah. So I know like if, so example, two creators that come to mind that are obviously very large creators that talk about betting pretty often um, is Nick Merck's and then obviously, and then also I believe Tim, the tap man. Um, so Nick Merck's, and I don't know if you're familiar, are you familiar with him or no? I'm not. Okay. Well you, if, because of what you guys do, you might, if you ever turn on his stream, um, especially, well, the NFL season's ending now, but he is very big into betting on NFL games. And so a lot of his community is very deep into betting. Um, obviously because he's got like 50,000 people watching him and he's placing right. bets and getting their, um, getting, you know, what they think of the games and stuff. So, um, I've seen creators as large as him. Um, like I mentioned, I think also Tim the tap man, I've seen other creators, um, and talent in the space. Um, it seems as if betting is becoming more popular, maybe from the, from if a talent wants to engage in it right if that makes sense mm-hmm. um whereas like you know if you're asking like you know are creators interested in betting like i think there's definitely um more buzz around it lately um as far as like a per from a professional standpoint in the industry you know i'm not like too sure obviously i know roger and you guys over here um who are mm-hmm. doing it i think it makes sense um 
from the esports perspective as well, especially like if you've got the live events and, and the people who are diehard for it, if they kind of are already into traditional betting, then maybe, you know, if a Call of Duty league game is going on and, and they want to bet on it, I, I would agree that I think it makes sense. Um, so I don't know if that adds like too much value or not. Yeah, but, no, I mean, uh, that's, that's kind of what I see at least. Well, so the interesting thing is, is like, I, I just believe if you look at the history of the NFL uh, specifically, and it's always been popular, but I'm sorry, but baseball was more popular at one point, um, especially I would say, you know, in the fifties and sixties, but def- but I would even say seventies and eighties and early nineties. And then I believe one of the biggest catalysts for the NFL taking off was fantasy leagues. It was mm-hmm. like, you know, daily fantasy leagues. And that, I mean, it's, it's a form of betting, right? Because you're putting money in and winning prize money. Right. And so, you, and then, you know, people, what that, what, what, what happened then as a result was people would start watching the games when they otherwise wouldn't or the casual fans um, or the folks that were like spouses of the fans would start watching when they otherwise wouldn't. And then they would get really into it and start, you know, really attaching themselves to players or teams, et cetera. Uh, and I, and I really believe that was a huge, huge impetus for the growth of the NFL and baseball really never, never gravitate towards that. The NBA has done pretty well for other reasons because they've been probably the most global of all the sports. Um, but I really do feel like betting in general, but also, you know, daily fantasy too, both of those can kind of come together and really create engagement when there otherwise wouldn't be. So, I mean, I, yeah, I just, I guess it's almost a little bit of a, a I don't want to say frustration, but it's almost a little bit of a, just a, it just is a little surprising, you know, mm-hmm. that it wouldn't be something more that people would want to be pushing to drive engagement. Now, maybe they feel like it's just going to be a natural organic thing. It'll take five to 10 years, but it'll get there. It doesn't need that to get there. It's just, Hey, you know, Gen, Gen Z, Gen Y, that's what they want. You know, um, you know, as they get older and stuff like that, like this is going to be the thing, but I'm just like, what is it going, what will it take for esports to become as big as some of the other professional sports out there or will it never? Yeah. Well, I think, so something I thought of as you were talking and, you know, you were kind of, you know, like if I'm like, for example, I'm a huge Miami heat fan. So to, to your point, okay. to kind of run with that example, like, you know, if Jimmy Butler is playing and I'm a big fan of Jimmy Butler, like I want Jimmy Butler on my fantasy team because I'm a Jimmy Butler fan. Right. Mm-hmm. So the problem that, that, that probably many will, will talk about and that I see in esports right now is that there's still for pro teams and pro league. So if we use the call of duty league again, as an example, they're still building out those fan bases to where like you have those diehard fans that are like, Hey, I like so-and-so and they are a favorite player of mine. And I want them on my fantasy team just because that's how with the call of duty league, for example, is just built in so many random cities and it could move because the team could get bought and now it's in a different city. So it's like, you know, if they were in Orlando, but they go to LA, now I'm left hanging in Orlando. So like how attached can I actually get to this esports team? Um, and, and then for organizations, it's the same thing. I mean, if you look at 100 Thieves, for example, when the Call of Duty League launched two year, or a year ago or two years ago, whatever it was, they didn't partake in it. So fans who were fans of 100 Thieves now couldn't be Call of Duty League fans. But then now 100 Thieves is back in it. So it's like back and forth a bit. So it's hard for the fan base, I think, to get fully passionate and engraved to whereas like, you know, if you grow up in Gainesville, Florida, and your parents went to UF, and you grow up going to Florida Gator games, like you're going to grow up a huge, passionate 
Florida Gator fan, but that same correlation and that same path isn't there right now for esports. And I think that's where maybe there might be a little, like you're kind of running into the wall. Cause it's like, do, am I really that passionate of a fan as I am on the traditional sports side of things? So I, I a hundred percent agree with what you're saying. I think esports leagues, if they want to, the ones that want to really, really, really take off need to be geography based, right? Mm-hmm. Because people are always going to attach themselves to geography. Um, you know, humans are tribalistic, right? They're always going to attach themselves to geography more than they will, in my opinion, uh, a player or a team name or even maybe a game. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for example, if League of Legends decided to create a North American league um, and they had, let's just start out with 10 or 12 teams in specific geographies. And, you know, then you can, you know, find a, a, you know, a media sponsor to broadcast the games or whatever, um, you can stream them if, if you want to start with. Um, I think then you have a chance to really start to see kind of that deep fan engagement. And then from there, go, you know, go from there. But I, I agree with you. You're right. You're probably, yeah, I think that's one of the, the, the little tougher things about tennis, but the thing with tennis, and you know, cause I'm a big tennis fan too. Mm-hmm. T- tennis at least has that nationalistic pride, right? Hey, someone's playing from the U S right. or someone's playing from whatever country. So even then still it's, it's geography based. Um, but, um, but I think maybe golf is probably the better example or MMA where it's not really, you don't really watch it because of their geography or where they're from. You just watch it because you love the sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would especially say MMA. I mean, UFC, for example, I mean, I mean, nobody, I don't know of anybody that follows it just because someone's from a certain place. Um, <laughs> right. I don't think that's why people are watching UFC. <laughs> it's probably for some of the uh, for some of the moves and the fighting that goes on it. But uh, but but <laughs> even if you take and apply that to esports, um, yeah, I guess maybe the, maybe there's an opportunity to do it without geography based. But um, I do think that would certainly help. Yeah, because um, yeah. I'd like to see it become like more widespread, more talked about. Like, I don't think it's underground by any stretch of imagination. It's not. I mean, it's got a lot of fans. Um, right, it's, it's, right. It's, you know, it's, it's a few billion dollar industry, but it's not the tens of billions, hundreds of billions that some of these other sports are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think like you're saying, it needs to have, you know, it, it, it's like growing up in any city, right? So it's like if I grow up in Miami. And, and all my family was from Miami and all that, like, that's who I'm going to associate myself with. But like we're saying in esports, if a team is there one year and then moves the next year, then, you know, obviously yeah. you're looking at that league as a fan, you're like, well, shoot, who do I, who do I go for then? Or who can I like, yeah, I don't know any Seattle myself. fans that are, uh, thunder. <laughs> I don't know any Seattle residents that are Thunder fans. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> In fact, they probably hate them. <laughs> right. Yeah. What if, what if your team moves to a city that you despise that city for whatever, reason, but you know, so it's tough, but yeah. Or even not just like if the owner, you know, just does it like art model and like football, you know, when he moved uh, the Browns to Baltimore and stuff like that. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, people have that, like I said, tribalistic instinct where they want people that are, or they want teams that represent themselves and, and right. their heritage and kind of all that other stuff. I mean, like when I think of, you know, why I'm a Packers fan, I mean, I've lived, I've now, I lived in Wisconsin for 23 years and lived in California for almost 20. So I've almost lived in California as long as um, Wisconsin, but I would never, ever, ever uh, give up my Packers, Bruce, or Bucks allegiance. I am a Sharks fan on the hockey side because we never had a hockey team in Wisconsin. 
but I would never, never give right. up that. I don't care what, because that was like what I grew up with, what I, you know, what I knew, um, you know, what my dad got me into, uh, my heritage from where I'm from, all that stuff. And so I think, I think there does need to be something like that. Um, mm-hmm. not, again, there's tons of coolness factors in esports, like watching streamers and everything. I mean, that's amazing. I'm just, I would just love to see some things of, uh, of an organized nature, you know, come together to help make it, make it even more popular. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think a lot of people, it's very entrepreneurial still too. So it's like a lot of moving parts, things move day to day, very quickly. One day it's one thing that, you know, you might have an esports, any sport that was really popular today and two years from now, it doesn't even exist. So then that's the other part of it is like, right. you know, again, how attached to it can I become? And I think that's just like a, a really underlying issue right now, but that's just the nature of the beast right now. Right. So that's just the stage that this industry is at. Right. Right. Totally. So along those lines, do you like to bet on sports? It doesn't have to be esports, but in general, do you bet on sports at all or do you stay away from it? I have never bet on sports. I don't think I've ever bet on a sports game to be honest. Wow. So I, <laughs> not which I with, probably your, not don't, with your friends. No, which, so I probably don't. And I don't even know if there's a stat out there, but I probably don't fall into that stat. I would imagine just from where things are at that a lot of people bet on games they have at least once i would have to imagine but i don't think i actually have before not even with your friends like for a beer or something like that <clears throat> no i mean i've bought like uh that's not betting though i guess but i've bought like scratch off tickets and stuff but i've never bet like well that's sp- lottery that's a different that's, kind. that's not sports that's, that's not sports betting yeah so i've never yeah no i've never been like yeah i'll bet you this on x game oh, i also uh, it's tough for me though but i'm also the sports fan that's like for example i'm a huge miami heat fan mm-hmm. i'm a huge you know, obviously Auburn University fan. Um, and then I'm a big University of Miami fan. So it's also very hard for me to like watch games outside of those, if that makes sense. And I'll never bet against them because that's just my diehard nature for those for those teams. So Okay, so that's interesting. So for me, even though I'm a diehard Packers Brewers Bucks fan and a pretty big Sharks fan, um, I will still sit and watch any other football game. Um I will still watch other baseball games, still watch other basketball games, uh, especially for playoffs and stuff too, but, um, and still watch other hockey games. And yeah, you, you you can only bet on what you know, right. You can't bet on something that you don't follow. Um, So you're right. If you only followed or only watched like Miami heat games, then you wouldn't, and you wouldn't want to necessarily bet on that anyways, unless you're okay with like betting legitimately on a team on them winning or losing. But yeah, you have, it, it is one of those, it's one of those activities where if you don't follow things and follow them closely enough, then I hate to say you're throwing your money away, but you know, you, then you really have to totally be okay with losing because if you're not in the, in the weeds on like, you know, matchups and injuries and even some, you know, so far as things like who's refing that game and stuff like that. Right. Um, yeah. it, it's it, then you, then it's really truly just entertainment because then it's, it's a, it's a coin flip at that point. I agree. You should watch. I'm telling you, you should watch. Um, I think Nick Merckx, I think he does it on Wednesdays or Thursdays. I'm sure he's going to have a morning stream talking about the Super Bowl after the Super Bowl is set after this weekend. I don't know if it would bring any value to you guys at, at Zen Sports, but I think it might in some form or fashion. So you should maybe check that out. I, th- I think it might be helpful. But. So it's Nick, uh, M-E-C-R. N-I-C-K-M-E-R-C-S. Um and so what's interesting about him is he'll be talking about those NFL games and he'll be throwing racks on it. But the interesting aspect to him is he's probably got 40 to 50,000 people 
in chat watching his stream also giving their opinion. So it's just kind of since you guys sit in that space, I'm just saying. It uh, might he, be, uh, sick, sickodds.com. Say that again. Sickodds.com. Yeah, that's him. He runs a right. site, sickodds, sickodds, S I C K odds.com. He's so he streams on Twitch. I don't know if he owns uh Yeah, I think he has a website too. Well, no, he's oh. on sickodds.com. Sickodds oh, is a, oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, sorry. Okay. He doesn't own that site. Sorry. He's a he's got a profile page there. Yeah. Got you. Got you. Okay. So, cool. And he probably does he does he does mostly esports betting, huh? I I know he does a lot of NFL betting. Oh, um okay. yeah. Yeah. So, and I don't know that might since since you guys are since he's in gaming but the betting traditionally and, and you guys are yeah. at that intersection I don't know there, there might we'll be something there for you we'll have to bring him on the pod <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> awesome um, well cool uh, it's this has been a great uh, great chat uh, Juan uh, I know we're like getting past an hour here and uh, you're on the east coast so you're nine oh three p.m. I'm six oh three p.m. I'm sure you want to get out and uh, party it up uh, and uh, throw back a few and. Uh, head off to bed or whatever it might be, <laughs> or or you gotta go. You gotta go watch some. You gotta go watch some streams. Or no, I got a better idea. You need to do some really in depth research on the latest esports streaming uh, donation <laughs> IRS tax guidelines. There'll probably be a, a mix of that. <laughs> I'm in busy. <laughs> I'm in busy season right now for EY, and so things oh, are true. Yeah, it's are quite easy. ramped up on the work hours side of things. So what's probably best for me is to get some sleep. Tonight. Okay, <laughs> go, go get some sleep, and then get up and do some uh, tech stuff for EY. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Juan. Thanks so much for joining us on the Ball and Chain Podcast. Uh, you were a great guest. Um, let's do it again sometime, and uh, have an amazing weekend. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me.